Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for the show. And with me today is our new friend, Holly. Holly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Dave. I've been looking forward to being on your show. Yeah, it's great to great to have you. Really good to have you. I'm excited <laughs> to, to hear what you have to say. Well, and before we get started about that, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, marriage, ministry, and those types of things? Sure, sure. Uh, so... Um, I went to Biola University where um, I got my undergrad degree and I got a master's degree there in Christian apologetics. And I worked at Biola for nearly a decade as the managing editor of Biola magazine and the university editor. And it was actually during my time there in 2002 that I first learned about the new apostolic reformation movement and began researching it. I went on to start a blog. Um, So I've been blogging all this time about, about the movement in a couple of actually now written four books, two already published in 2014, the new one we're talking about today, and then another one coming out later next year, and um, all about the new apostolic reformation movement. And I've written those books uh, with a professor at Biola University, uh, Doug Guyvet. He's a philosophy and theology professor there at Biola. And yeah. um, and so I have, I've been married Um for about 17 years now and I have two two daughters and I homeschool them and I live in Fairbanks Alaska Um, oh nice nice yeah we moved here we moved here uh, I guess about we're going into our 14th winter we count by winters here I bet yeah (laughs) because we're in the interior where it gets really dark and cold for much of the year even down Mm. to 40 below um (laughs) quite a move from Southern California Um, and yeah so um i'm trying to think uh i guess that's that's pretty much all about me (laughs) Mm, yeah that's great that's really good get to get get to know you a little more (laughs) can you uh you know tell us about this fantastic new book a counterfeit kingdom the dangers of new revelation new prophets and new age practices in the church uh why you and doug wrote it and how you hope it'll how you both hope it'll be received well, we wrote this book uh, to, so we'd written, as I mentioned, two previous books about the new Apostolic Reformation. And those books were uh, more of a general overview of the theology of mm. the new Apostolic Reformation. And so Counterfeit Kingdom goes more into specific details about the specific practices that have been infiltrating churches and the ways the new apostolic reformation has been infiltrating churches through music, through children's ministries, um, through all these, all these uh, curriculum, all these different ways. It's actually practically manifesting in congregations and the way it's spreading the tactics that leaders are using to spread the teachings of this movement. Um, we go a lot more in this book into Bethel church in Redding, California, which is the most influential church currently in this movement. And um, and so this book is more of a focuses a little bit on the theology, but really goes deep into the practices and, and the tactics used by leaders and the way the movement's spreading. We really wrote it to warn the people about the dangers of this movement, because um, since we wrote our other books, we are contacted regularly by people all over the world, literally all over the world who have been harmed, you know, they by the by the teachings of this movement. They've seen this movement split their families, split their churches. They've personally been harmed. They've experienced disillusionment with their Christian faith because they've seen um they've experienced failed prophecies that people have given them or seen the failed prophecies, for example, recently about uh that Donald Trump would be reelected to a second consecutive term in office in 2020. Many prophets in this movement prophesied that. And that didn't happen. And uh, or or even uh, many people have experienced failed promises uh, that they would receive miraculous healing from some sickness or disease. And that never materialized. And 
So a lot of people have really had been disillusioned. Our faith is, has been um, harmed by the teachings of this movement. And so we really wrote this book for those people to bring awareness to the ways it's harming people and also to alert other people who don't know and may even after reading our book may see that the teachings of this movement perhaps have been coming into their own church or have been influencing their own friends and loved ones. And so it's really to put the movement on the radar of people so they can uh, be aware of its existence, know what to look out for, and, and be on alert so they can um, protect themselves and their families and other people from, from being harmed by yeah. this movement. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because like at our church here, we have so many people that have come out of the new apostolic reformation. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking, you know, can't give too much detail, uh, but just saying like, since moving here in about two years ago, it'll be two years in January, I have seen that there's a long story of this, but I've seen just so much, uh, hear, heard so much about this. And it's not like I'm seeking it. It's just like, it's coming to me and people know what I do. And then they find want to tell me. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, wow, that's the number one thing. Like when I was in Idaho, the number one thing was Mormonism and, and Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. Here is the NAR. So, so what are, you know, there's, there's some, what are some things that, you know, maybe just a couple of things that people could look for as we as we talk about this. What what could they look for in terms of what the NAR is about? Right. And yeah, just give people a quick overview of the movement. This movement is led by church leaders who claim to be authoritative apostles and prophets. They claim they're giving critical new revelation that the global church requires uh, so that all Christians can learn how to develop miraculous powers, such as prophesying, healing the sick, raising the dead even. Um, and the purpose of this is, is uh, leaders in this movement teach that the Great Commission is really a commission to bring God's physical kingdom to earth. And the way that will be done is largely uh, by the church rising up is like this miracle working army where all Christians learn how to work miracles. Um, and so really the, the leaders in this movement teach that every Christian is supposed to be healing the sick, raising the dead. Uh, and if they're not, mm. then they're really not obeying God. Um, and so these teachings are very divisive. You can see how these kind of teachings split churches and families. Mm. Um, and so, um, so they're, the churches that are starting like supernatural schools of ministry, Bethel Church in Reading, for example, um, I mentioned they have a Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and that's had thousands of graduates over the years. They literally come to the school to learn to be miracle workers. And um, because uh, they're taught that that everyone can learn to work miracles and, and the ways they teach their students to do that, they, they have them engage in these prophetic activation exercises Things like uh, they blindfold the students or have them stand back to back um, and say the first thing that pops into their mind is a prophetic word for the person behind them. And uh, even though they don't know who that person is, things like that are the type of prophetic activation exercises that are being used in, in yeah. NAR churches. And, and these schools are being started up in churches across the nation, around the world. Um, and a lot of people don't realize these are the kind of teachings and practices that are are behind the Bethel music uh, that, yeah. you know, we wrote an entire chapter in our book about NAR music, New Apostolic Reformation music, and it's wildly popular, but how it's responsible for disseminating the teachings of this movement and drawing people into this movement. Yeah, you, you mentioned the music aspect of things, and that mm -hmm. is something that, you know, I've had Kasi on, Kasi Hin. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, do you, you know Kasi, right? Or, or yeah, uh, we've had, yeah, we've had some interaction. Yeah. Oh, okay, great, great. A yeah. little bit, just through email, yeah. and I don't know him personally, but. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great, he's a great brother, great brother. Um, But, you know, when I did that episode with Kasi on Jesus music, and oh my goodness, I got so much, so much pushback. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, I'm expecting it and asking this question um, and I'll, I'll take that. I'll take the heat for this one. But um, <laughs> just just saying, like, you know, there is a lot of confusion about, you know, oh, I'm just singing a worship song. I'm just singing, you know, Jesus music, Bethel music. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not really hurting anybody. But why should we as Christians be cautious not to sing Bethel songs? And why shouldn't we even listen to their songs on platforms like, you know, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or Spotify and so on and so forth, um, so, so they get further financial support and and then they mm -hmm. can fill their you know their efforts as a ministry. 
Well, what many people are not aware of is, is many people are, have been drawn into the new apostolic reformation specifically through the music. The music is a Trojan horse uh, for the NAR movement. Um, and the leaders, for example, the leaders of Bethel Church, like Bill Johnson, he has openly stated that he sees the purpose of the music as a means of exporting the teachings and practices of, mm. of you know, this movement um, to churches throughout the world. And so that's how they view the music. And um, and many people might not be aware that the, the theology of this movement is laced throughout the lyrics. And, and people don't always recognize it because they don't recognize the buzzwords uh, the, you know, the, the, that are used, um, in order to spread the teachings. So for, for example, there's this Bethel music song called, uh, be lifted high. And it speaks of our generation as one that will be quote unquote, calling down the reign of heaven. And, you know, there's more to the lyrics, but, but people don't realize that, you know, Bethel teaches that it's the task of the church to take dominion of the earth and to, as in socio-political control of the earth to bring God's kingdom to earth. And the way they teach that will be done largely is through taking part in prayer declarations where they talk about calling down the reign of heaven. And prayer declarations are not uh, the traditional historical biblical view of prayer is making requests of God. Prayer declarations are believing that their words have the power to create reality. Um, just much like God spoke in Genesis and created. So our words have that power and so they actually they actually have said that they they uh, view their music as making declarations. And so they actually see when churches sing Bethel music songs, what, what those churches who are not part of the New Apostolic Reformation don't realize is Bethel actually views it as these churches are lending their voices to making prayer declarations that they believe are bringing the reign of heaven to earth. And and there's much more, you know, the lyrics, the songs have a lot about. Uh, they talk as if miracles are occurring routinely, uh, even resurrections from the dead, and that uh, miracles are evidence of God's love for us. And all of these these kind of themes can be found in the music. And um, that sets up a false expectation for people that um, that they should expect to be healed. And that uh, if, if they're not, then maybe God doesn't love them because miracles are seen as a sign of God's love. Um, and so, so their harmful teachings about miracles are really propagated through the music as well. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really good. And, you know, you know, like at our church, we don't sing any Bethel, we don't sing any Hillsong, um, those type of things because the, they, that's like you're saying, they get the money. That's how they get, that's how they, you know, like Hillsong and Bethel, that's how they get their money. That's how they keep yeah. growing at, is, is through this. So just avoiding the music is is the best mm -hmm. thing uh in general because you're supporting that like you're saying you're supporting their their bad theology and then they're broadcasting that through their the through their song right. and a lot of people forget a lot of christians don't make that connection that the songs that we sing are actually theological um the 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 secular songs they're theological I mean, we 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 make that connection when we're reading something, when we're hearing something, but we forget that everything is inherently theological. Everybody has a theology. Yeah, um, and quite, yeah, yeah. So music, music um, really has an ability to impact our feelings. You know, a lot of people will say the reason they like Bethel music or NAR music is because of the way it makes them feel. And Bill Johnson thinks that that's a feature of music that should be exploited. That um, music. What we say in our book is NAR music divorces the heart from the head, which makes people vulnerable to deception. But Bill Johnson thinks that's actually a feature of music that should be exploited. He has actually said music bypasses all of the intellectual barriers. And when the anointing of God is on a song, people will begin to believe things they wouldn't believe through teaching. Um, and so um, but that's actually dangerous because when people divorce their head from their heart, you know, it opens them up to all kinds of deception and you can have half-baked ideas or false ideas that that get through. And, and, you know, a lot of times people will go home and forget the sermon right after the pastor preached it. But the music is going to be in their head all week. The tunes are catchy. Um, and so really what we say in our book is, is worship songs are the catechism of today's church. And I think churches really need to be careful about the songs they choose and that they're not just choosing what's trendy and what's 
number one on K-Love right now, you know, but that they're at the top of the Spotify playlist, you know, but, but mm. that they're really choosing lyrics very carefully, because as you said, you know, theology is taught through the music in a, in a very powerful way. Yeah. Some, some practical advice to, you know, pastors, church leaders, we have a lot of them listen. Um, also Bible teachers, just, just as an elder board, if you're a pastor, you're on an elder board, just decide that whatever is sung is going to go through the elder board. And then the worship, the worship pastor, worship leader is going to, you know, be involved. So all the service matters, not just the, we often think, I think a lot of pastors mm-hmm. think, well, it just matters what's, what's preached from the mm-hmm. pulpit. And then we miss the fact that actually what's sung is the response, right? To the preached word, or it's preparing our hearts for the preached word and then we're responding in song. And mm-hmm. that's just as important. And that I think is often missed as well. In the I agree. And, and, and we don't want to use, do use anything in our churches that will make people more receptive to NARA teachings or that, um, that will further the NARA agenda. You know, we need to be careful about that. And as you said, the royalties fund and fuel, uh, the NARV movement, the millions of dollars they make a year. And it's not just the money they get when we use the songs, uh, you know, it's, it's, it develops a taste for the music and the people in the church. And then they go out and buy the albums, they attend the concerts. So it's really funding an entire industry. Yeah. That's sad. And it's a growing industry. Like mm-hmm. once you start seeing like this thing and understanding what this is, like you, and you write about that, I know you've written about that a lot, but once you start yeah. seeing, it's like, it's like, once you start seeing something in the Bible right you're like then you see it everywhere and you're like oh my gosh how did i ever miss this well once you start once you start understanding what the nar is Mm -hmm. and then you're going to start seeing it everywhere and then you're like holy cow it's everywhere and but don't give up i just want to say to people that listen and watch the show as well don't give up hope that that christ is still the head of the church as the bible says he's still building the Mm -hmm. church and he is, he is, he is doing it. You know, he, he is doing it. And uh, so don't be discouraged by all these things. Uh, God has that under control. He's still sovereign. He's still the king. And uh, he, he will write all those things and deal with all of it. So, yeah. Well, you know, I thought, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, that's right. That's right. We need to be on guard against error because scripture warns us repeatedly uh, to be on guard against error and, and that many will, will fall for false teaching. But what you said true is, uh, you know, Christ said he'll build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that's an encouragement we have as well. (laughs) Amen. It's an encouragement that we need too, especially with something like this. What I thought it was really interesting that you talked about, and you guys talk about in the book about new apostolic reformation and the new age. And I've been studying kind of both in conjunction mm-hmm. with the, each other over the last few years. And w- what is that? What exactly do you mean by that? And what is that connection? Yeah. So, so we have an entire chapter actually showing how new age practices have been infiltrating the church through the NAR movement. And um, the NAR churches promote many practices that have more in common with new age occult practices than with biblical Christianity. And um it's not actually just us saying that leaders in this movement are very open that many of the practices they promote bear remarkable similarities to new age practices. There's a book called the physics of heaven, uh, which multiple uh, Bethel church leaders contributed to, including Bill Johnson, his, his late wife, Benny Johnson, Chris Valentin. And they state in this book that, um, that basically what they claim is that there were practices, there are a lot of practices new agers have that they actually stole from Christians, that these were practices that the first century church had and subsequently lost and they need to be, and then they were stole by new agers, stolen by new agers, and we need to redeem and reclaim these practices for the church. And in the book there, they talk about things like reading people's auras and, you know, and, and, um, Bill Johnson is actually, he actually endorsed a book, um, written by uh, Joshua Mills, I believe. And, and that book uh, promotes spirit travel. The idea that somebody's body remains in one location physically, but the spirit is traveling to other locations or even other time periods in the past or the future. 
Um, what we talked about, the idea of uh, prophetic activation exercises, the idea that people can have miraculous, everybody in NAR, they teach that everybody uh, has like these latent supernatural abilities like prophesying, but they need to be uh, activated. And, um, and so, um, and so that's, that's what we talked about where they'll have people, um, you know, blindfold people and have them say the first word that pops into their head as a prophetic word. And, and it's the idea that, that these, uh, are like spiritual gifts that can be activated in all individuals. And so Bethel students, uh, people in NAR have been known to go to psychic fairs and pose as psychics, uh, where they will give, um, prophetic readings but they'll refer to them as things like spirit readings and things like that. And, and, and they often won't let the people know, they won't tell them at least initially that they're, they're Christians. Um, and so they're posing as psychics and giving and and sometimes they've used things like destiny cards. Uh, there's an organization called Christ alignment where, where it came out that many Bethel students were doing these readings, uh, reading these cards that look much like tarot cards and um and giving people information that was supposed to reveal information about their future things like that by reading these cards like tarot cards mm. um and so there's a lot of practices um like that that we go through in our chapter and we show the dangers uh in, in the similarities to the new age occult practices wow wow that's 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 amazing i mean amazingly sad but amazing that they would go that direction as well. Yeah. And another one we talk about is um, necromancy. Actually, there's uh, leaders in this mo movement actually have been promoting the idea that um, it's okay to communicate with deceased believers. And what they'll say is because they were believers, they're not really dead. They're still alive, you know, and, and, um, spiritually. And so because of that, it's, that doesn't really fall under the Bible's, you know, the Bible pr forbids necromancy, of course, but it doesn't actually fall under that prohibition because these people are dead. And so th there have been instances uh, at Bethel church in Reading, for example, uh, where you've had prophets on the stage claiming to receive on stage communication from dead prophets uh, for Bill Johnson or people in the audience. And so that's another really concerning occultic practice wow it's unbelievable you know i know we're both pretty passionate about and i know we both speak out about the passion translation and doreen uh, i was kind of surprised she didn't have you do the episode on that because you know way more about that than i did and i learned so much just researching that um but how mm -hmm. dangerous is this translation is it at the heart of the of how those in the new apostolic reformation are being formed and shaped for their life and godliness and like we're being shaped and formed, mm -hmm. but when we hear the preached word. And what are your concerns about this translation? Yeah, I would say the translation is, I use the word translation loosely, right? But yes, it's very dangerous. And currently, concerningly, it's also very popular because it's been promoted by very influential NAR leaders like Bill Johnson, who's endorsed it, who's preached from it in the pulpit, um, Bobby Houston pr has promoted it. Banning Leapshire from Jesus Culture. A lot of NAR apostles and prophets have promoted this translation that was produced by a NAR apostle named Brian Simmons, who claims that Jesus Christ visited him personally, commissioned him to produce this new translation of the Bible, even though he'll admit that he doesn't have, uh, uh, he's not an expert in the biblical languages. Um, he's, he claims that God promised him that he would supernaturally empower him and give him secrets of the Hebrew language and things like this to make this translation. Um, he claims to have translated from original Aramaic manuscripts, which Bible scholars, yeah, that shocks Bible scholars because <laughs> they'll say they don't know what original Aramaic manuscripts he's talking about, right? The, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, um, but Brian Simmons has has tried to claim that actually no, you know, discoveries are showing it was originally written in Aramaic. And and so um, that's something he said. Um, but the translation, it's not it's not a translation, um, even though he, th this is a concern. He's told people that it's a reliable translation that they can use for their personal daily Bible study. And a lot of people have been doing that. And but he's he's made so many changes in this so-called translation that it's not the word of God anymore. It's the word of Simmons. 
And he's actually added, taken a lot of it in our teachings and, and put them into the translation to make it look like the Bible supports those teachings. And, um, and so it's not even, a, it's, you couldn't even call this a reliable paraphrase. It's, it's, it's just mm. bad. It's dangerous. And a number of real credible Bible scholars have actually weighed in, you know, Mike Winger, you're, you know, commissioned a number of Bible scholars to do reviews of the Passion Translation. These include Daryl Bach, Douglas Moo, Craig Blomberg, and others who have reviewed the translation and and just found it's really bad. It's not a trustworthy translation. Um, But uh, because many people are using it for their primary Bible study, um, unfortunately, there's many people who may even never read another translation and and they'll think that the bible actually promotes these new apostolic reformation teachings yeah well i i I love all that i agree with all that um when i did the episode and jay warren wallace shared it i was floored by some of by some of the pushback because i didn't get i didn't get hardly any pushback from from our particular audience when we did that when when doreen and i did that episode Mm -hmm. on our respective channels i don't know if doreen did but i didn't get any and I was I was shocked by that. But then when Jay Warner Wallace shared it on his Facebook page, I, I saw the I saw some of the pushback and there was all sorts of people very um, just say they were up in arms about the idea that this is at the heart of the new, the you know, the new apostolic reformation. And all I did was go to the website, as I'm sure you have. And, and I know you have because I've read some of your stuff on it. And who endorsed this? I'm like, you look at who endorsed this, you look at who they are, they're leaders in the yeah. new apostolic reformation. So logically, we come to the deduction, this translation is at the heart of the new apostolic reformation. It's not a hard thing to, it's not a hard leap. You're not like, oh, I'm jumping from one place to the other. Uh, I'm just A plus B equals C. You yes. Know, I'm, not making, I'm not going to Z. I'm just going to A plus B equals mm-hmm. C and C is this is that this has to be at the heart. But then I ask, I and I'm sure you have, I ask people that have been in this movement that are at our church, they've come out of it, they went to the seminars, they've gone to Bethel. Is this at the heart of the the NAR? Yes, mm-hmm. this is. I, I heard this preached all the time at the church I was at, Dave. I can't even mm-hmm. tell you. Um, they, yeah. they, they're like, please just keep speaking up, keep speaking up, keep saying that. And I'm like, okay, I will. but yeah, know. well, when, uh, uh, my co-author went out to Bethel not that long ago and he was struck by how much they were pushing the passion translation in the Bethel bookstore, you know, it had special displays and, um, still even after all the, all the criticism, um, uh, Bill Johnson continues to, uh, despite all the warnings from scholars, uh, he continues to defend and, and promote this translation. So that's concerning. I think that he's not he's not a Bible scholar, um, but he's he's not receiving the warnings and correction from people who are who are saying this is not a reliable translation. This is dangerous. You know that that makes me think of you know, well, a, a couple things you were you were talking about the 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 new apostolic reformation and then how they view the bible but then also not receiving the correction that makes me think of it makes me think of like mormons and they don't necessarily you know they they kind of done the same thing they have their they have their thoughts about it and they're kind of insular but it, it kind of it, it makes it make in my mind at least it makes kind of some sense because to not receive any sort of criticism about from those outside of their movement if they think that that they're and i say think they are apostles uh from god uh they're not but we and we 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 know we know that but that's probably why i think at least in my mind why they wouldn't receive any sort of correction from anybody and i know they're also been told by a lot of other people they're anti if you flout your phd and whatever oh well you know you're just uh you're just an intellectual and we're not going to listen to intellectuals because you're you're then anti-supernatural. Right. You have a Greek mindset. That's one yeah. of their buzzwords. If you're, if you value logic or reason or, <laughs> and you have a Greek mindset, that's right. Yeah. 
you know, um, how can we best help those that are coming out of the new apostolic reformation? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we talk about this in our book, uh, quite a bit. Um, one thing, so you're, you're talking about people who actually have come out of the movement. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they come out of it. They've, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we would say to encourage them to learn to read the Bible better because the leaders in this movement will, will often claim to receive prophetic illumination into the scriptures. It gives them new understandings of scripture nobody has ever seen before. And this could be, like you just mentioned, like maybe one reason Bill Johnson's not open to correction is because he claims to be an apostle. Well, I think you tapped into something there. You know, when you receive divine revelation on how prophetic illumination and how to interpret passages of scripture, then you don't need a scholar to tell you <laughs> through through their study that you're doing it wrong. You've gotten a direct interpretation from God, right? And so people that have come out of this movement, they need to relearn how to read the Bible. They need to learn how to read the Bible correctly, learn how to read it better, not rely on apostles and prophets who are claiming to give them new, to, to claiming to give them the understanding of scripture. So people need to learn how to read the Bible properly in context using the sound rules of biblical interpretation. Um, they need to find a good church where the pastor actually preaches from a text of scripture and interprets that in context. Um, we suggest to people that maybe they want to join um, a support group. There are groups on Facebook um, where that are becoming quite large, uh, which is telling uh, people who have left NAR churches and feel like that now they're in recovery and um, and they need the support from other Christians who can understand their experience and, and come alongside them and encourage them. And, and people also often need to learn about spiritual abuse because many of the people that have been part of this movement are actually victims of spiritual abuse and they may not be aware of that. But uh, the mm. leaders in this movement do teach whether they want to admit that or not all the time. They do teach that their followers are supposed to submit to the authority of the apostles and prophets and really uh, aren't really supposed to question the, the words of the apostles or prophets that's uh, discouraged. And so many people have shared stories with us of spiritual abuse they encountered while they were in churches under this movement. And so they really need to start learning what are the uh, tactics of spiritual abuse and to be able to spot those so they don't become victims of, of that again as they're looking for a new church, a healthy church to attend. Yeah. Yeah. Would you, would you speak to that? What are some signs of spiritual abuse? Uh, well, yeah, we, we talk about in our book, uh, for example, um, um, tactics. Uh, so, so for example, in the new apostolic reformation, uh, they'll say that all believers are supposed to align. That's kind of a, a buzzword that means submit really, but align under the authority of the apostles or prophets. And if they're not in proper alignment, they're really outside of God's order for them. And they, they won't receive the protection, the spiritual protection or the blessings uh, that can include healing. It can include financial provision, all the blessings that come from being under the apostle or prophets. Spiritual covering is another buzzword. Um Wow. And so, so um, these are, those are ways by using these um, euphemisms, euphemisms are kind of gentler ways of saying things that don't sound so offensive. So they might not demand, they might not say, you know, you must submit to us or else, but they'll say, oh, you should really align with the apostles and prophets because then mm -hmm. you'll uh, receive spiritual blessing and protection and, and, and you'll know you'll be able to reach your full potential and fulfill your destiny and, and things like that. And then, so people become afraid to leave uh, the spiritual covering of an apostle or prophet. They're afraid to, to question the apostle or prophet because they've been taught that to question or an apostle or prophet is, is to question God. And there are scripture verses that have been abused to, to teach that, like touch not the Lord's anointing. Anointed is a popular buzz kind of a phrase that's used to silence critics um, from questioning the apostles or prophets. Um, so those are some of the, the things we go through a number uh, in our book of, um, of a man who was expected to work for an apostle uh, without pay. And, you know, and the church services went hours and hours along and this man was getting burned out. And and but but he was never supposed to question the apostle. And whenever he did, the apostle would kind of gaslight it and turn it back on him like really he was doing something wrong. And um, 
you know, but that this husband and his wife really continued to stay at the church because they really did believe that this man was an apostle. And, um, and so they're still recovering. They, they finally left the church. Their eyes were open, but uh, a lot of people we talk to, will talk about, it can take years to get out of the mindset. Um, almost like being in Scientology or something like that, where people get out of it and, and they had that the, the beliefs just, um, stay with them for years. And it takes many years to kind of undo that way of thinking. Yeah. It's tragic that it's, it's so, I, I see these people that around here that have come out of it and now they're in a good church and other people I hear about. And it, and it's sad. It saddens me as, you know, I've been doing this 22 years. Um, I've counseled many hurting people, many struggling people, mm-hmm. lots of people enslaved pornography, and it and it really it, it breaks it breaks my heart to see these people hurt in the way in which they have, especially as a guy who studied hermeneutics. I'm like that is reprehensible to me that anybody. I mean. I know that I expect it from the Mormon and the Jehovah's Witness. I know mm-hmm. that in the church there's false teachers. I understand that. But it for them to assert as they do, the way in which they do, that's what that's what bothers me. Right. And and another type of spiritual abuse is name calling. You know, it's very common uh when somebody questions or 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 even respectfully challenges the leaders in this movement. Um, it's, they'll, they'll get called terrible names. Like they'll be called a Pharisee or told uh, they're Jezebel, you know, have a Jezebel spirit or, um, you know, um, uh, all of these names that are used kind of, and people, people are afraid to be called these things because they don't want to be found on the wrong side of God. You know, you, nobody wants Jezebel, you know, she, she persecuted the prophets, you know, or, <laughs> or a Saul you know, who, uh, oppose God's anointed. These are all labels that are given to people that, um, that, uh, well, these are all labels that have been applied to people like myself who've, who've, um, critiqued the movement's teachings for sure. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's sad. And it hurts when, you know, you hear things and you're like, well, I mean, just psychologically, we wonder, well, should I keep doing this? And yeah, because the truth really matters. And, the truth is on the side of those who, as you just said earlier, rightly handle the word of God. And that's command. And those who, some of the strongest language in the Bible we know is for those who lead people away from God. Um, and that is a warning. It's a big warning. Go read Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And, you know, like I said earlier, you know, those of those of us who speak out against this, we, we should be encouraged. As long as we're staying faithful to the text and faithful to God. Uh, we have every reason to be encouraged, um, and that that means something, you know. And it matters both that we're faithful and we're faithful to the way in which we do it. So, um, I'm thankful that one of the things I think I said at the outset, or when we were talking before we recorded, I really, really appreciate. Uh, I've, I'm reading the first two books that you guys have done. I've read this one. I appreciate the fact that you're using evidence. You're 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 not just like saying, "Hey, um, we're going to beat." take the club and we're going to lay the smack down and we're going to smack them over the heads like Gibbs does Denozo and NCIS, you know, you're giving evidence and you're giving the scripture and you're showing, you know, so I, I think that's, that's the right way to do it. Yeah. We hope people will see our heart that our heart in writing these books and doing the research is not to nitpick. It's over minor theological differences It's not to, we don't want to be mean-spirited against the leaders of this movement. Our our hearts really are motivated by concern about the people who who are being damaged in in the the ways the gospel is being distorted. I mean, when the gospel is not about Jesus dying on the cross and rising again so we can have forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, and eternal life, but it becomes about that, that Christ's work on the cross has made the way for us to take dominion of the earth. And, um, and it's seen through the lens of signs and wonders, you know, and a gospel without signs and wonders isn't even really the gospel is, is what's communicated in this movement, uh, by the leaders of this movement. Um, then, um, the gospel has been distorted and also the church's witness 
to a watching world has been damaged. I mean, you probably know of what happened with all of Heilgenthal in December 2019, that little two-year-old daughter of a worship leader at Bethel Church in Reading. She died unexpectedly. And uh, Bethel Church rallied their followers around the world to join them in declaring, making prayer declarations for uh, resurrection for this little girl to raise her from the dead. And that was picked up by national media. And for six days, they tried to raise her from the dead with their their prayer declarations, with their spoken words. And um, and then, you know, she wasn't raised. They very quietly behind the scenes held a funeral, um, almost like they didn't want to draw much attention to it, even though they had drawn a lot of attention for the previous six days, you know, when they attempted to raise her from the dead. But then then they kind of wanted people to quietly forget about it. It almost seemed like after after they failed to do that. And that was picked up by several major media outlets. It was being watched around the world. Um, they had their followers, thousands of people from around the world were joining them in these declarations. And, and just to think of the damage that did to the church's witness, or along with like the failed predictions about Donald Trump too, that, that he would win the 2020 presidential election. Dozens of prophets in this movement prophesied that he would be, uh, he would win the 2020 election. And so that brought real damage um, to the reputation of the church because people who reported on it afterwards were talking as if they were laughing at all Christians um, and kind of mocking all Pentecostals and all charismatics, not realizing that that this was specifically leaders in this NAR movement. And that's one thing we really try to point out we really want to make clear that our books are not a criticism of classical Pentecostal historic charismatic teaching. Um, it's not, it, our books are not about um, saying that people don't speak in tongues today or they don't prophesize it today, or they don't work miracles of healing. Uh, the teachings of NAR go way beyond that. The teachings of NAR claim that there are these authoritative apostles and prophets that govern the church. Uh, everyone must submit to their leadership and receive their new revelations. Um, and those that goes way beyond classical Pentecostal historic charismatic teaching. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, that you guys talk about and you do really good is even the pastor, like as a Baptist, I'm like, wait a minute, what about the autonomy of the local church under, when we talk about that, we're talking about the elders ruling the church or uh, what maybe with the congregation making decisions, which we would call congregationalism, but you know, yeah. This is outside of that. This is the pastor submitting to the apostle as That's right. their authority. Right. You know, as a Baptist, I'm like, eh, no thanks. But, you know, uh, that's totally, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is totally, um, it, it's, it's about goofy and it's, it's really wrong. But, um, and they must, the pastors have to submit to the apostles and the prophets because, they they are the ones bringing the new revelation you know pastors don't receive new revelation and our pastors teach the written word of god you know uh but they don't have the new revelation the passion they teach the passion. And, and so right and so really the revelations given by these apostles and prophets compete with the authority of scripture leaders in this movement will say they don't they'll say that you test everything by the word and they don't believe the revelations compete with the authority of scripture but when you tell people that you have to have these new revelations um, um, that when they claim that they're giving revelations for the global church revelations, things like the seven mountain mandate, which is a strategy for how they teach uh, that God has given them a revelation for how to take dominion by taking control of the seven major societal institutions like business, education, politics, you know, et cetera. Or when they teach that um, belief in the goodness of God requires that, uh, we believe that that it's God's will to heal every person of sickness or disease. That's a new revelation these apostles and prophets are teaching when and that it's pivotal to believe that um, when they claim that they're giving these revelations that are pivotal, then then their revelations do compete with the authority of Scripture, because what they're saying without seeing it is that Scripture is not sufficient, that we need their new revelations in order to bring God's kingdom to earth. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting that you brought that up. And I'm really glad you did because it kind of leads to this is that there there's a church in our area and uh they are heavily, I mean, they have Bethel people. We talked about this before we recorded. They have Bethel people come and they um, you know, in the Roseburg, Oregon area, they have people come 
and they believe that the Bible is inspired. They even believe that it's inerrant. They even believe that it's, oh, wait, no, they don't. But yeah. Anyway, they, the only thing that they're missing basically from the, their doctrine of scripture is exactly what you said, sufficiency of scripture. Mm-hmm. It isn't that interesting. You know, like in that kind of, I, I try to make some connections here. Like you look at their statement of faith and most people would probably have no problem with this church's statement of faith. Well, they would have a little bit if they if they know what to look for. But then you go look at like a Mormon, the Mormon statement of faith on the LDS website. And, you know, we, we might not even have any sort of issues with their statement of faith. And I'm not saying you go look at the Mormon statement of faith either, but I'm saying like, it's interesting that these types of movements, they have these statements and they're supposedly clear, but then they are missing key ingredients. And like, I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned earlier, like key words, how do they using those words? What do those words mean? Because everybody is using words and they, but missing the sufficiency of scripture is a big telltale sign that they don't believe the Bible and they have a deficient understanding of scripture. Right. And, and leaders in this movement too, will some of them will say, many of them will say scripture is sufficient, but you can't just listen to what they say. You have to look at what they do because, um, you know, I have, I had a couple of quotes here actually about, by, um, let me see if I can. Um, so here's a couple of quotes. This is from Chris Bellaton, who's the chief prophet. He's like Bill Johnson's right-hand man at Bethel Church, right? Uh, this he, Chris Bellaton claims that Jesus spoke to him directly about the new revelation God is about to give the global church through apostles and prophets. And these are his exact words. The Lord also told me, I'm about to open up the vaults of heaven and reveal depths of my glory that have never before been seen or understood by any living creature. Um, and then, and like I mentioned before, they claim that they received this new revelation through prophetic illumination into the scriptures of like a light bulb goes on for the first time. Uh, they understand something no one in the history of the church has ever, ever understood. So Bill Johnson is talking about this critical new revelation given through prophetic illumination when he says, quote, unquote, no one in their right mind would claim to understand all that is contained in the Bible for us today. Yet to suggest that more is coming causes many to fear. Get over it so you don't miss it. And so they teach their followers to expect new revelation, to look look for this new revelation. And, and they, they portray it as this is essential revelation. And so even though they'll say they're revelation, oh, no, no, we don't think our revelation is, in, it's not on the level of scripture. No, nothing is on the level of scripture. You got to go beyond just listening to what they say and actually see what they do. Yeah. And that, that, that really is what you just said, really important. It's one reason why, you know, I'm usually very careful, why I'm very careful, because I have learned through watching a lot of older pastors, a lot of older pastors that have been in ministry a long time. Don't just pay attention to what the person is saying. Watch where the trajectory of their life is going. And, and that that is really helpful because all the things that we're seeing in the church today, they all have a trajectory and they all lead. So when some new idea comes out, I'm usually very slow to, to, to speak about it because I want to see where this is heading. Mm-hmm. You know, I could give, I could give it so many examples of that, but that's just one thing that you said that I just wanted to point out because for people, because we don't do, that's part of what it means to be discerning. Being really, you know, discerning means not only that you're testing and ex- literally, you know, and it's a command in First Thessalonians five twenty one, test all things. But we're supposed to test. We're supposed to examine all things, see where that goes, because theology has a has a trajectory. It has a has a goal. Um, it either is going to lead us to God, which theology is the study of God, so it should lead us to God, or it will lead us away from God. This theology leads us away from God, so we're supposed to. Uh, reject it uh, like the Bereans did and hold fast to what is good, which is also a command in that same passage context of that, Mm -hmm. that passage. So, well, you know, we've talked a lot about already about the new apostolic reformation. People kind of know what to look for and, you know, those kind of things, but why should they speak out? What, what are some ways that they can join you know, yourself and Doug and uh, many, many others that are speaking out against the new apostolic reformation. Right. Um, so we talk about 
in the final chapter of our book, uh, we encourage people to join the resistance against this movement. And the reason we say that is because the New Apostolic Reformation is a movement and it's going to take a movement to counter this movement. And encouragingly, we've been seeing that. We've been seeing more and more people speaking up, warning about the dangers of this movement, warning about the music. Um, and that needs to continue. Um, and so what people can do is they can continue to educate themselves about the new apostolic reformation, learn more about this movement, you know, read our books, read other people's books, go online, listen to podcasts and, and um, educate their children about NAR. That's the second thing we say. It's very important because a lot as Christians, we often think, oh, we need to prepare our kids for when they encounter atheism or when they encounter a cult like Mormonism or something, you know, well, they don't call themselves Mormons anymore, but people who are part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? Or, But we also need to prepare our kids to encounter the New Apostolic Reformation um, because there are ways that people are recruited into the New Apostolic Reformation. There are tactics that are used and we need to alert our children to these things. Um, also, um, people should stay alert for signs of NAR encroachment in their church. Um, pay attention to curriculum that's being used, music that's being used, books that are being promoted, speakers that are being brought in. Uh, you know, people that are being brought in are called apostles or prophets, or um, if they're associated with Bethel Church in Reading or the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri, or, you know, these are these are things to watch out for. Um, if you're a pastor or an elder in your church, be diligent to prevent mission drift. That's very important. Um, you know, we often hear about, I'm contacted all the time by people saying, oh, you know, the women's, uh, ministry director at my church is bringing in this NAR stuff and she's using this book and, um, you know, and I don't know whether I should tell my pastor or not, or I've gone to my pastor and he doesn't seem really concerned or, you know, um, so this movement often comes in through not the front door of churches, but maybe even through the back door of churches or, or, uh, it could be children's ministry curriculum that's being used in the Sunday school classes, things like that, too. Um, so it's really important that pastors and elders are diligent uh, to prevent mission drift. Uh, uh, we encourage churches to consider adopting a position paper against the NAR. We actually have a template on our website that, that some churches have used. Um, and they can they can decide, hey, we're not going to use Bethel music. We're not going to use music produced by overtly NAR churches. You know, these are decisions they can make. Um, if you're the head of a Christian organization, be alert to NAR leaders seeking to hijack your organization for their cause. Again, I've talked to people who, um, lead homeless shelters or they work at pro-life pregnancy centers or things like that. And, and often what you'll have is people NAR will come into these organizations and they'll start promoting their teachings and practices and and the heads of these organizations won't even be aware of that, but they're drawing people into NAR that way. Um, so those are some ways we suggest that people can join the resistance. That's really good. Yeah, I like that. That's really good. Where can people go to find out more about you on social media? I know you're on Facebook. Maybe I don't know yeah. if you're on Instagram or Twitter. <laughs> or got any of the others? So. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, so hollypivic.com is my blog, and there's a uh, I've been blogging there for years and years, and so people can use the search feature to find articles that often people find articles that are helpful there. I am on Facebook. I've recently been doing more on Instagram, and uh, I'm also on Twitter. And funnily enough, I just tried to go into TikTok. It's just an experiment, but I started sharing some videos. I've always been against being on TikTok, but I shared some videos that are promoting our new book on there. And I, I think I literally have zero followers and one like, <laughs> because I just started like, you know, a couple of weeks ago and yeah, I don't know if TikTok's going to be my thing, but, um, <laughs> but definitely uh, go to my blog, sign up for my newsletter, see me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Yeah. And um, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. And I, and I like that you do use the Facebook. I'll have to follow you on Instagram here in a, in a little bit, but uh, I appreciate that you're, 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 you're out there. You're, you're talking, you're leading the way you're trying to provide a voice to these things. So that's really good. And people will be encouraged by that. So, well, you know, there's a lot that we've only, I've always said, and it's especially true guys with this, 
We've only scratched the surface. So Holly, as we wrap up our time together today, uh, can you give our listeners and those who watch this say a few takeaways? Yeah, um, I just, we talked about this a little bit, but be prepared for pushback. If you join the resistance, um, if you start pushing back against this movement, um, uh, we share stories in our book of people who just started asking questions of their pastors very tactfully, very gently, very respectfully, um, but it wasn't welcomed or appreciated. Um, And so be prepared for pushback. But rest assured, so you'll be accused of causing division. Um, many people are accused of causing division when you question the, the NAR and the teachings. But if you re- approach your leadership respectfully, uh, gently, tactfully, it's not you causing division. It's the people that are bringing in these destructive, harmful teachings and practices. And people are being harmed by this movement. Um, and so we need to speak up on their behalf. And um um, we, we cite a verse, uh, Romans 16, 17 in our book, uh, the apostle Paul was, uh, this is in Romans. So the apostle Paul told the Christians in Rome, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. Um, and so the people bringing in these teachings, they're the ones causing division. They're creating the obstacles to the gospel. And um, we're not doing that by by exposing those things, warning people about those things. And so people should be prepared for pushback, but also, um, I guess, have courage and take heart, uh, knowing that that they're not the ones causing the division. And um, mm. not, uh, just wrapping up, you know, these teachings that we said have damaged lives, they split families, they split churches. Uh, they distorted the gospel. They've damaged the church's witness to the world. Um, these are serious issues. And so they require a serious response um, on the part of sober and, and biblical, you know, biblical minded Christians. Yeah. Well, Holly, thank you for providing that. And Doug as well. You can thank Doug for me too. Mm-hmm. Thank you for providing that, you know, that those kind of responses, like I said, these are these are really good. Um, I'm, I'm working my way through your first two books, so we'll have you back for that. And I, but I appreciate the fact that it is a concern. Mm-hmm. It is a concern rooted in the truth of God's word. It's not a personal attack. It's dealing with ideas. It's showing how they lead to hurt people's lives. Uh, this bad mm-hmm. theology hurt people's lives, and people people appreciate that they do. And so be be encouraged by that mm-hmm. and you know, that you're standing for the truth. You're doing it in a love. You're not, it's not to be contentious, as you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's done out of love. It's done out of concern. And that's the right motivation that we all should have. So, yeah. well, guys, uh, we've been talking today with Holly Pivik about her book with Doug, uh, Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices in the Church. Go pick up this book. You will learn a ton, a ton about this. And check out Holly's blog. Follow her on Facebook. If you're on, if you're on TikTok, okay, I'm not. Which you guys know. And there's, a, I'll tell you about that afterwards. But my my wife, okay. I'll, since I said that, I gotta say it because you guys are gonna wonder. My wife will not allow me to go. My wife's an IT professional. She won't allow me to go on tiktok because of china and all that but that's well you're about. so my kids were very disappointed with me when I signed yeah. up for TikTok and I said it's just. It's just, I'm trying to promote my book. I'm just trying it out. Yeah. But someone in your audience could literally become my first TikTok follower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it. If you're, if you're a TikTok, if you're a TikToker or, or whatever, you know, go do it. <laughs> follow her on Instagram. We'll, we'll be tagging on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Would not be following, tagging you on TikTok for the reason I told you. And so anyway, Holly, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed it and look forward to having you back. Okay. Thank you so much. Me too. Thanks, Dave. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, 
on Instagram at Servants of Grace or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.